When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to She and Her. I'm Sandra Davidson. And I am Anita Rao. We're happy to be with you all live tonight. And Sandra, do you know that we're less than a week (laughs) from the election? I am so aware of that right now. You're very aware of that. I am very aware of that, and I'm thankful for that. And really, after last weekend, I kind of had the feeling that I would almost be content just getting in my bed and putting the covers over my head and waking up. 10 days from then to find out what in the world's going to happen on November 9th. I know. No, I was thinking about this today and I feel like if I didn't work in public radio and have to be following the news, like I, <laughs> I, I think I would, I think do. I would do that. And we were joking today <laughs> about how we can't, like all of us are tempted to start every single intro to every story saying like, okay, the election is now just seven days away. Like it's <laughs> yeah. inevitable. Like everything that we're talking about is somehow related, is somehow responding to what's happening right now because it's just absolutely insane yeah i guess i I resent that about it yeah because it's i mean it's a catch-22 right i'm grateful to live in a democracy where we do get to elect our political leaders but i resent and i and i know the office of president and all the other offices we'll be voting for in this election are extremely important for us to think about and have conversations about and have a dialogue about. But it just doesn't feel like people are having dialogues. Yeah. And we're all just screaming. And it's I, I resent that it's been that way. And I also resent that it's been drawn out for so long. Yeah, I know. So, I mean, we're, we're really going to bring the dialogue tonight. Yes, we are. So tonight we have four different guest who sent in voice memos to us uh, reflecting on their experience of this election season. So these perspectives that we bring you tonight, they all come from women who are living in the South. One works in the military. Another is a graduate student in the field of sociology. Another works in our public schools and higher ed. The other one works in higher ed, right? Yes. Yeah. So all of these women come from very different backgrounds they're doing very different kind of work so we're really excited for you to hear the diversity in their thoughts and opinions and experiences and also take a careful listen to hear some of the things that keep coming up that are the same yeah yeah and we wanted to leave these pretty open-ended we thought we're thinking about a couple different ways to do this show and we sort of landed on this idea of a voice memo because we wanted people just to sort of reflect in their own words how both their profession and what they're doing every day, but also just their experience of being 
a woman in the world right now, millennial woman in the world right now, impacts how they're watching and witnessing this election cycle. So uh, we are going to hear first from Jackie Bushore, and she lives in Richmond, Virginia, and works in the military. I would like to describe this election season with one word, and that word is scary. So Jackie has now been serving in the military for four years. She went to officer candidate school after graduating from college and was placed in the Army Ordnance Corps. Um, so they help supply Army units around the country with weapons and ammunition. And she's going to give us more detail about what exactly she does, which is pretty badass. I've been in the military for four years now. And as of 2014, I became an Explosive Ordnance Disposal Officer. And for those of you who don't know what Explosive Ordnance Disposal is, it is the Army's equivalent of the bomb squad. So think Hurt Locker, but without all the Hollywood effects. And yes, I get to blow stuff up. It's awesome. And yes, I get to wear the very heavy bomb suit, which is not so awesome. My profession is pretty much 95% male. I think I'm one of the only female officers on the East Coast at all, and I am the only female in my unit. There is a common misconception when you join the Army or the military in general that you're changed as a person. And I remember when I graduated basic training, my best friend was there, and she came up to me and gave me a hug, and I made some kind of joke. And she said, wow, you didn't change at all. And I was like, of course I haven't. But people see the media, and they think that the military completely brainwashes you so that you don't have any individual thoughts. Everything is cohesive. Everything is teamwork. And yes, teamwork is the core of the military, but there are so many different opinions. A lot of people see the outspoken Republicans in the military that are big on nationalism and think that's the military as a whole, and it's not true. You have your Republicans, and on the flip side, you have just as many Democrats. I have been given the ability to work with so many different people from so many different backgrounds. I mean, I work side by side with people who join the military in order to be granted citizenship, and I've met so many soldiers who are willing to fight for our cause and maybe even die for it, just so they can be called an American, and for this to be home for them. And the real shame is that they're still not accepted, sometimes even by their fellow soldiers. And I can't really blame the people because the media is really reinforcing it, but everyone is so scared these days that they're willing to label anyone a threat. For me, I see citizenship as a right, not a privilege. I know there's a lot of people who would disagree with me on this, especially with the talk of closing our borders. But America is viewed by so many people as a safe haven. I mean, my whole job is to protect this country. And honestly, I don't care if you're a legal citizen or not. I am going to work to protect you as long as you are pulling your weight and you are loyal to our country and our cause. One of the things that has troubled me the most about this election is the ignorance that some people have. And I feel like this election has brought out the worst in people. I mean, racism, classism, and homophobia are completely out of control at this point. And people want us to be the greatest nation in the world, but they don't want to give its citizens the basic rights they deserve. It's so backwards. But something that I've noticed with this election in particular, and this is something that really gives me hope, is that people are really making it a point to say, hey, please get out and vote. And for the first time that I've noticed, Friends are outright telling other friends to not even vote independent because they're so scared that this country will fall into the wrong hands. 
So they're saying, hey, I know you don't support either candidate, but please pick who you feel like should be in office. And that's the point that I want to leave with too, as somebody who works daily to protect your rights. Please exercise that right. and she sent us that voice memo from Richmond, Virginia. You can check out some really awesome photos of her and all of her explosive ordnance disposal officer gear on our <laughs> Instagram feed. It's a mouthful. Um, so follow us at She and Her Radio to check that out. Sandra. Yeah, they're crazy. They're amazing. And she sounds amazing. <laughs> she really does, yeah. I, I mean, I was struck by a lot of things in her piece one of which is I definitely have that stereotype of people in the military and that is unfair mm-hmm. and which, which one are you talking about that, in well my my stereotype is that like often people who are in the military are going to be socially or, or politically conservative mm-hmm. I loved hearing her talk about all the different types of people who she worked with and that she works with some people who join the military as a path to citizenship that right. was pretty powerful yeah yeah, I feel like there were a lot of interesting um, historical parallels that I was making to thinking about African Americans who served um, in the war and then came back and like you know were treated like soldiers and then came back. I guess I'm talking about after World War II, before the Voting Rights Act passed, and were treated like second class citizens, but they'd just given their lives for the country, and you know that, that's sort of exactly what she's describing here. And that there's this. There's this coin and like on one side of it, there's nativism. And then on the other side of it, there's a, t- a brand of an Americanism where you're so proud or you could be so proud of your country that you wanted and welcomed people who also wanted to have a piece of that. Right. As well. Yeah. So up next, we have Elaine Townsend Uten. She lives in Durham. A word that I would use to describe this election season would be revealing. And then I would say super exhausting because, y'all, I'm tired. I'm real tired. I'm so excited for this election to be over. Elaine is the assistant director of NC SLI, formerly known as the Scholars Latino Initiative, which you worked with in college. Is that right? I did. Yeah, it is a mentoring program that pairs um, sophomores in college with sophomores in high school um, so that they can have three years of direct mentorship. And these are uh, Latino students, many of them first-generation college students, some of them undocumented, to help them um, have a smoother process in accessing the higher education system. Got it. Okay. So she recently moved back to North Carolina after completing her master's in education at Harvard. So here's Elaine sharing her thoughts. So I'm a Peruvian American. I was born in Peru and I immigrated to the United States when I was two years old with my parents. I grew up in South Georgia, Arkansas, and North Carolina, so my identity as a Latina, raised in the South, plays a large role in why I vote and why I care about what goes down in the political world. For years on years, I have watched the needs of our Latinx community be hugely ignored in this country by the government, by the education system, the list goes on. Therefore, we have had to advocate extra for ourselves, pay closer attention to politics, policies, and rhetoric that are being used to oppress, isolate, and even wedges against each other. A lot of things are at stake 
in this election with regards to how immigration policy is shaped and implemented. For example, certain immigration policies that don't include a path towards citizenship and or legal status are going to have huge ripple effects on our economy, employers, families, various industries, etc., who rely on millions of undocumented immigrants to function. Undocumented immigrants are collectively contributing nearly $12 billion each year to states and local taxes. They are vital members of our community. Creating paths towards citizenship would benefit everyone rather than incur billions of dollars of deportation costs, which would be, get this, an average of about $10,000 per person, which would create over $100 billion to remove millions of undocumented immigrants in the United States. So whatever immigration policies are implemented, we will definitely feel the effects quite severely on a broader scale as a country and also on a personal level as well. So much has... (laughs) troubled me during this election season so much drama so much all this stuff but also you know I've lived in circles where people think certain struggles are over for example that racism doesn't exist that feminism is no longer a necessary battle to continue and the reason for a lot of this line of lines of thought is that people think everything is fine that everything is okay um, that people of color have the same opportunities as everyone else that women they also do as well that no matter what religion you're going to be great here and you know what it's all lies if we look at the facts and we look at the research and we look at the history however this past political season has made it very very difficult for people who are living in this like alternate reality to ignore the societal and systemic issues that are affecting people of color women and other marginalized communities so The fact that much-needed conversations are happening because of the election season, well, that gives me hope. It gives me hope that people who have been living in denial uh, are having to confront these long-time issues as they determine who is going to lead our country. that voice memo from Durham. And you can check out some photos of her work with Latino students around the state by following us on Instagram at she and her radio. So I have a question about Elaine's piece for you. What's that? One of the things that she says at the very end that gives her hope, which gives me hope too, is that people are, and she's saying she's hearing people having conversations about these issues and in some ways they, they feel productive to her. Have you felt that way at any point during this election? Um, yes, but in like very isolated circumstances and in very particular media that I am intentional about consuming. Um, I was listening to the most recent episode of Lenny or Woman of the Hour. Sorry, it's Lena Dunham's podcast. And she'd gathered a group of women just to sort of do an emergency election episode after mm. um, Donald Trump's pussy grabbing statements. Um, and I think that was one of the most powerful non echo chambery conversations that I've heard. Not that anyone who was in that conversation was a conservative per se, but there were a lot of Bernie supporters, a lot of reluctant Hillary supporters, um, a lot of people who had explicitly suffered sexual trauma. Um, hmm. And they were having this conversation about the re-traumatizing effects of this election. And they had this psychologist on to talk about how I mean, women who've experienced sexual assault, there are so many, there have been so many triggers for women who've experienced sexual assault throughout the course of this election cycle. Um, 
and something that you'll hear one of our guests refer to later. You know, in past election cycles, obviously patriarchy is not new. Sexism is not new. Misogyny is not new. But for it to be so explicit mm. and for these issues to be, you know, joked about and just seen as acceptable talk um, can and has been really traumatic. And so I feel like that conversation was the first that was really putting a lot of things in context for me um, and did feel really productive. I think there have been some productive conversations around sexism um, and misogyny due to this election, but I don't know. It's also just unfortunate that someone has this kind of platform Mm -hmm. um, to be talking in this way. I don't know. I mean, I wonder if like what you were listening to because it was actual words, people having words, hearing each other. Right practicing empathy practicing listening like I hope people will do more of that because I think it's so easy right now to participate in political dialogue without actually seeing another person while you're doing it right um all right we're gonna move on to our next guest so um this is Alexis Dennis from Durham and uh, she may sound like a familiar voice and we'll tell you why in a second I've been following this election since the primaries, and at times the election has seemed bizarre, annoying, and incredibly offensive, but I think the one word that most aptly captures my feelings as a whole about this election season is that it's just been distressing. So that is Alexis Dennis, and you heard her back in the spring. She joined us to talk about her work with young black women through the Beautiful Project. She is now a full-time PhD student at UNC studying sociology. My identity as a black woman shapes my politics in many different ways. I remember being really young, like maybe in middle school, and my mother sat me down and told me that people were beaten, abused, jailed, and died so that I could one day have the right to vote. She was, of course, referring to those who fought in the civil rights and suffragette movements. And so I've always taken elections seriously and followed them closely, even before I was old enough to actually vote. As I grew older and learned more about the history of black people and black women in particular in the United States, the importance of voting became even more salient to me. This is because throughout U.S. history, policies have been passed at the federal, state, and local levels to either strip African Americans of the full citizenship rights that we supposedly gained through the passage of the 14th Amendment, or to prevent us from being able to take full advantage of the rights that we should have, equal access to quality housing, quality education, and employment. As a woman, I take issue with various laws that attempt to severely restrict women's reproductive rights, especially given the fact that historically laws and policies were passed that restricted who black women could love and marry and punished our fertility in the form of forced sterilization or restricting access to social services for poor women of color with children. Knowing my history has made me reject the narrative that I often hear candidates spout off regarding how they or a family member, quote, pulled themselves up by their bootstraps to achieve the American dream. I instead believe that social and economic policies can and have worked for certain groups of people throughout our nation's history while simultaneously working against other groups. As a millennial, the student debt issue is also incredibly important to me. I have lots of loved ones in my life who bought the dream that was sold to us that you just have to go to college and you can study anything that you want because the goal of college is to teach you how to think. When you graduate, there will be a great job waiting for you. This was kind of a lie, particularly for those of us who graduated around 2008, 2009, 2010 during the midst of the Great Recession. 
it's disgusting to me that people who are so well-educated, incredibly skilled and talented, and have a lot to offer their communities and country are currently unemployed, underemployed, or stuck doing things that they aren't really passionate about because of their student debt burden. It's also frustrating for me to watch loved ones who want to get married and buy a house and start families and just move on with their lives who can't because they can't afford it. What has absolutely troubled me the most about this election season has been the discourse and rhetoric that I have perceived to be racist, misogynistic, ableist, nationalistic as opposed to patriotic, heterosexist, etc. I'm worried that even after this election is over, people will continue to feel that it's okay to openly express and act upon these sentiments. Um, I'm also worried about what kids are learning about what's okay based on what they see and hear from our candidates. Because when people openly express and act upon notions of hate, then society just isn't safe for anyone. And I think we should be striving for America to be a place where all people can be safe and thrive. And so as a result, during elections, I try to aim to support candidates who seem to value a strong social safety net and whom I think will advance civil rights and equality. At the same time, though, we as a people have to make sure that they work on our behalf. That is Alexis Dennis sharing how a powerful sense of history shaped her understanding of this election season. Mm. Um, she's so Alexis, eloquent. thank you yes. for sharing that. You are so smart. Yes. This election, I think, has forced people's hands to do some, like, retrospective. Like, have we seen things like these moments in history before? Mm-hmm. And it sounds like she grew up always having a relationship to her citizenship that asked her to think about those things and I was talking with my mom oh last weekend and she was saying honey like I just want to tell you and your sister that the 1960s were really bad too (laughs) yeah things got better Hmm. yeah one thing that I love that she brings up that I've been thinking a lot about is how I mean obviously everyone the Trump Clinton saga is on everyone's minds Um, but I think working in public radio and working on a statewide talk show has made me obviously much more in tune with state politics and realizing that decisions made on the state level actually impact our lives much more day to day than who's in the Oval Office Mm. Um, and a lot of the things that she was referring to reproductive justice policy Historically, North Carolina has a terrible legacy of horrific reproductive justice um, policies, a huge eugenics movement that didn't end until the early 80s that forced sterilization on, I don't even know, millions of women, um, many of whom just because they were poor, they'd been sexually mm-hmm. abused mentally and then had or- diseases, mentally ill, and now trap laws that are common in states around the country, but um, some really significant ones in North Carolina. And so thinking a lot about how voting, but also thinking a lot about how do we inform ourselves and have conversations around 
these more subtle political things happening on the statewide level. And I and appreciate that. context that. matters. Exactly. And the context matters. And that thinking exactly how black bodies and women's bodies have been politicized in various ways over time. And it's just so obvious with North Carolina's political history to see how that's taken place here. Yes, totally. And I am hopeful to hear women our age who are able to who have that sense of history and who are informed and educated about that kind of thing because I remember I mean I grew up in North Carolina and the first time I learned about the eugenics crisis disaster was probably after college Mm. and that's you know that's the kind of thing that should be taught in North Carolina history classes I mean we should know the worst things that have happened in our state politically particularly because I mean, we we see people repeating mistakes all the time or just taking a fundamental struggle like reproductive justice and reproductive rights and just attacking it with different types of policy. Right. Look a little different, but kind of to me have the same patriarchy under it all. Right. If that makes sense. Which is a great segue to our final uh, voice memo from Tracy Barrett, who sent us this memo from Carborough. I think if I had to describe this election season in one word, it would be all-consuming. Amen, Tracy. (laughs) You and me both. So Tracy is an 11th grade U.S. history teacher, and she's had the distinct experience of having to facilitate conversation and guide 17, 18, 16-year-olds through this election season in a U.S. history class, which... I can't even imagine doing. This has been a crazy election season. It's the thing that I have probably spent the most time thinking about for the past year more than anything else. And as a history teacher, I think what makes this election so wild is the fact that even as it really, really clearly embodies historical trends in a painfully obvious way, so much of it at the very same time is completely unprecedented. So in my classroom, you know, we do look at the ways that um, this election has brought up some very old trends in U.S. history. So we've talked about nativism, and we've talked about xenophobia, and isolationism in foreign policy, and candidates appealing to white supremacy and misogyny. And these are not new trends, but I think what it's harder to find precedents for and harder to explain with historical context is the lack of civility that we've seen, honestly, from Donald Trump. So most politicians in the past century, even the ones who were employing really racist campaign tactics would do it with a dog whistle rather than really explicit, unapologetic uh, racist language. And Trump just doesn't uh, bother to veil the things that he's saying. So my students obviously pick up on that. They pick up on the extremity of the rhetoric. And given that I teach in a school that's a majority minority school, about 30 or 40% of my students are immigrants themselves or their children of immigrants. And there's an element of trauma for them um, as they watch and hear uh, Trump say things like Mexicans are rapists, um, poor inner city communities are like hell. That has an impact. 
a, a moment that stands out of where I, that kind of landed with me of how my students, many of them are processing this, is I had a student say in class kind of offhandedly one day after we watched some clip, um, this was during the primary, and this is a Latina student who said, you know, I realize that Donald Trump is racist against all Latinos, but sometimes it feels like he hates me personally. It stuck with me and it stuck with us and, and different students referred back to it throughout the year because I think it speaks to a lot of their emotional experience of this election, um, that it is about more than just policy. And ultimately, that's what makes it really frustrating to talk about in class, because in class, you want to debate the issues. Um, you want there to be two sides that you can uh, teach students to see, and that just hasn't really been what this election is about. In fact, this was the first year ever that I think it was the first week of school that I told students that I was not going to be voting for Donald Trump, which normally I would have tried to avoid. But in this election where it felt like a matter of safety for some of my students to know that they were not being taught U.S. history by someone who believed that their families were the worst that their home country had to offer, I didn't feel much of a choice. And that was different. It, it, was, it has been really different um, for that reason. One of my colleagues who teaches civics has done an online live chat with students during two out of three of the presidential debates. And I jokingly said to my students afterwards that getting to be in that chat with them um, helped me survive the debates because their commentary, while it's oftentimes really funny and just cracks me up because kids are funny, um, also can really make some powerful um, historical connections. And that's probably what gives me the most hope is the idea that studying history, even in high school, can influence and um, complicate students' worldview um, and make them better prepared to process and to deal with and to cope with this election season, crazy as it is. That's Tracy Barrett, an 11th grade U.S. history teacher. Tracy, thank you for doing the Lord's work. Really, Tracy, those kids are so lucky to have you as a teacher putting all of this in context for them. Um, if people took their jobs half as seriously as Tracy <laughs> takes ours, we would be much better of a society. Yes, yes. Um, I think this that the question that Tracy brings up about safety is really interesting and one that has resonated with me a lot um I was I went to see Diane Ream for work a couple of months ago and she was saying you know I am a journalist I am a talk show host I work for a public radio station but I cannot be silent about Donald Trump and I will not be silent about Donald Trump and it mm. was really striking to sort of see how there is this Yes, there's politics and there's always emotion in politics, but there's a level or there's a side of this discourse that 
like it's impossible to be impartial about if you are a human being with integrity who values other human beings in the world. Like it's, <laughs> and the way that Tracy put it and what Diane Reem said, I just, I really respect people um, being upfront and being explicit about sort of what they see happening instead of just, you know, being a, I don't know. Just like attempting to be an objective. <laughs> right. Final. Well, you know what? And it's so sad that that feeds into a narrative that a certain percentage of our country believes that the media is just out to get candidates that it doesn't like. Right. But I I agree with you, and it has felt that part where she says this is the first time in my experience as a teacher where I've ever told my students at the very beginning of the year I'm not going to, who I'm going to vote for. I mean, that is pretty serious. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that is concerning for me is that, yeah, I mean, after, and this is sort of what they were talking about, the Woman of the Hour show, is that, like, this doesn't end on Tuesday, right? Like, yeah, some of the saga ends, some of the political drama ends, but this rhetoric that has been lifted and given a platform and endorsed by someone like, with really high standing, I don't, I don't really know, yeah. like, where do we go from there? How do we continue in a conversation will it, that just drop off and we'll pretend like the collective of people who <laughs> believe doesn't that exist, doesn't exist or, like yeah I mean that is a really good question and one answer or one way I've thought about dealing with it is as I've had these conversations hours upon hours with different friends I you know I'm sitting here and I look around the table and I'm like well actually we're at the age and we have the wherewithal to participate in these conversations beyond the safety of our friendships and it is our duty as citizens to do so so it makes me I really hope and I'm trying to figure out for me what that would look like to be engaged more as a citizen Hmm. on a daily basis than it does from like just voting or donating to a campaign that I like and I hope other people our age feel the same way one reflection I have to end maybe on a more positive note is um, a woman named Liz Winstead. She's a comedian. She was a co-creator of The Daily Show and she runs this project around the country called the Lady Parts Justice League where women comedians, um, actually they're not all women comedians, but comedians travel around bringing light to reproductive justice concerns and she was talking today about humor and the role of humor um, both in her work in The Daily Show and now and she says, you know, when you can laugh at something, that means that there's still a sliver of hope. That means that, like, mm. something inside of you believes that there's a possibility for change. Um, and I loved that. Yes. And I loved the idea of um, people who are still willing to, to have these conversations and to satirize them and point out the hypocrisy and that there is. Like, there is hope. All of these women reflected on, you know, shared at the end that they do feel some traces of hope. Um, and I'm just really honored that. They shared those with us and that we have these kind of people around us doing this great work. Yes, that makes that that is a good note to end on. And I thought I was thinking about that because I was watching a John Oliver episode late last week tonight, this weekend. And I have this complaint because I do it sometimes, too, when I find myself like, oh, I could just watch a Netflix show or I can watch HBO. It's so easy to be passive with your free time because there's so many things out there to entertain you. But I'm glad that 
shows like The Daily Show and shows like Last Week Tonight with John Oliver recognize that in our culture and they're able to like entertain and inform at Mm -hmm. the same time. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and say goodnight to you guys in a little bit, but I'm queuing up some music for you. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex ultra soft tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Thanks so much for being with us tonight. Uh, we are She and Her. You can find us at sheandherradio.com. The badass women who the badass shared women. their political thoughts tonight have all shared photos with us that will be on our Instagram feed, She and Her Radio. We got some other news, too. What's that? We got some business. We are going to teach a class together at the Center for Documentary Studies in February, March, April of next year. So stay tuned for that. We'll be putting information up there, up on our Facebook website and social media too. Yeah, if you're interested in hearing about um, how to do a podcast, you should take our class. And also, we're going to be part of a live event at MotorCo on Thursday, December 1st. Doors open at 6. The show starts at 7. It's free. You can RSVP online. And it's us and three other triangle-based podcasters. Um, We'll each be doing a 20-minute set on stage so Seen on Radio, the Center for Documentary Studies podcast by John Bewin, the WNC podcast, The Civilist, um, and Criminal, the amazing um, true crime show. true crime show hosted by Phoebe Judge. Um, so the four of us will be there. We'd love to have you join us. Um, there's a Facebook event that gives you the link to RSVP. We'll be pushing that out as well. Yeah. All right, guys. Godspeed to you all. We will get through this election season. We'll see you on the other side. We will. Take care. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.